Oh, what a week, yes. And for me too, with this passage. Um, it's one of those passages that theologians struggle with and everybody says, we can't get to the bottom of it. And so I'm really not quite sure how we're, where we're going to get to today. Um, so um, let's read the passage. That's probably the best thing to do, isn't it? And the reading this morning is in Luke 16. The passage we're looking at is Luke 16, 1, 1 to 13. But um, I need to include some of the verses after that just to get a little bit of context um, in, in where we're going. And... Uh, yeah, it's just as I read through it time and time again, there's just a lot of things in the story which, which you you can't sort of add up with the other bits. And um, like with with parables or stories, um, there's lots of information in there, but in the end, it's only only one thing that Jesus was was driving at. And uh, I do believe with stories and parables, there are deeper issues for those who can look into them. Taking, I don't think any detail is there without reason, but essentially for us there is a main point, and I will just um, suggest to you what that might be. To be quite honest with you, it's difficult to work out what the main point is, but maybe someone will, someone else would know what that main point would be. We're going to read the passage first, just to see, and with this passage. Um, it's in the context of the, the other two either side of it. Do you remember last week Bob told us about the, the, what's the story which is known as the prodigal son? And, um, but that can also be said about the father in a different sort of way. Um, but then there's the one after it, which is the story about the rich man and Lazarus, a rich man who at the gate of his house there was a beggar placed there every day and he just totally ignored him. He had all the resources, but gave him nothing. He just totally ignored him. And I thought both those stories either side help us to have little insight into the one we're going to read today. The other thing is that it's very much set in the culture of the Jewish people in the first century. A lot of the information we don't know. So there might be slight details, like business, how the, how the scribes work with business and how they how they work. We get a little, little insight into that in the story, but we don't know all the information, all the culture information, so it's sometimes difficult to work out uh, what it is. But let's read the story as it is, and I'm sure that the Holy Spirit will make his point to us today. Verse 1. He also said to his disciples, now last week Bob mentioned those who were listening. It always seems there's a little bit of turning. He wants to include the disciples in what he's saying. The the Pharisees are there, most surely. Sure, the other members of Jewish council were there too. There's also the crowds listening to what he said. Whatever he's saying, and we, it, it reminds us later on that the Pharisees heard what, they, what he was saying. So he, said to his, he also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed 
the bag, I've decided what to do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses or they wouldn't hesitate to employ me again in a different situation. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, well, 100 measures of oil. So he said, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, well, take your bill and write 80. And the master commended this dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will trust you with the true wealth or true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The law and the kingdom of God. The Pharisees who were lovers of money, now, this is why we need to read these words, they're not in the passage for today, we need to read them because Tell us where Jesus was heading. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Just a little bit of structure, uh, just looking at these three, this story in the context of the other two either side. In the story of the prodigal son, honor, we see the honor, you get the kit to honor the father was a very important thing. In this story, to honor the master was the thing that was meant to happen. Then in the third story, the story of the rich man it was honoring the poor. So you get that sense of some important aspects in the story of honor. The son dishonored the father in the story last week. In this story this week, he's dishonoring the master, which in a sense could be, you could see God in this story being the master, not press it too hard. And in the third story, the call was to honor the poor. So that sense of that. The first one was wasting his inheritance. The second one was wasting his position and his wealth. And the third one, he was wasting his wealth. 
because he wasn't spending it, he wasn't using it for the benefit of the poor around him. And it does raise the question, how are all of us using our position, our influence, and our resources for the sake of the kingdom of God? We ought to sit down and think about that, especially as difficult times come in the future. And we just remember that when the early church faced difficult time, they sold their possessions and handed them over to the apostles so that they might work with the poor and further the mission of God. And I think we might be faced with challenges like that in the future. What am I willing to give up for the sake of the kingdom of God? Reading this story in my own personal life, I felt quite guilty about lots of things, looking back on my past life. Um, things which are brought up in this story, responsibility and irresponsibility, consistency and duplicity, dishonesty and honesty. And there's lots of small things I look back in my life and thought, I could have done that so differently. Have I changed from doing that differently now? And then how do I, how do I change? How do I focus more on what's important? And yes, in this week, in this week, we have been faced with issues, like Bob said, a shaking. I look, always look for a confirmation in my message, and Bob gave it to me this morning by using the word shaken in the prayer meeting and out here, because God had put on my heart what you need to talk about this morning somewhere in there that God is going to shake all things. The Bible perspective, the kingdom of God perspective is all those things we rely on are going to be shaken. So we're, who's going to be our rock? Who's going to be our fortress? And how do, we, how do we face the future with these things in mind? I'm going to read now what Liz Trust read at the Thanksgiving service the other evening because it has a bearing on where we are this morning. And I think this was such a powerful moment. You know, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit at work other people wouldn't, wouldn't have known, people who don't know God would not know. But as a believer, you just think, billions of people are listening to amazing truth from the word of God, and we didn't organize it. God did. The other thing I thought was, if she's not a believer, what's he saying to her? At the time, she's become prime minister. Oh, <laughs> God works things out according to the purpose of his will. Isn't that amazing? And what is happening in our nation is going to happen for each one of us. God is going to work things out according to the purpose of his will. Our position, our responsibility, and our wealth. He's going to work it out. So let's read this from Romans 7 so that we might get the impact of it in the light of our nation's situation, 
but also in the light of our own position before God. Because in the story we've read this morning, there, is a sim- there are simple aspects to the gospel of Jesus Christ and why he came and what he's done for us. And that's so amazing. Verse 7 of Romans, For none of us lives to himself. I don't need to make any comment on that, do I? None of us lives to ourselves. Essentially for us today, that's in church life. None of us lives to himself. It was said of Queen Elizabeth, she served and she did serve others. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. And the passage goes on to just explain that. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. There was the gospel to billions of people in the world. Christ died and lived again, the resurrection. That was such a powerful moment. That he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? For you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You pondered that? Have I pondered that? The gospel is so cheapened sometimes when we, we say, oh, he'll sort out all your troubles. It's not about that. It's about where we stand before God and how we can face him in a day to come. This is Paul writing, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And isn't that where we began in our story? He called, the master called the servant in, and he said, give an account of your dealings. Why? Because he was wasting his master's possessions. And in the story, we get the point that our responsibility, responsibility in life, our position in life, whether that's an employer or employee or a teacher or kids, whatever our position is in life, we are all accountable to God for what we do and how we handle what he has given to us. He was wasting his master's wealth. 
And if we think of all the things that God's giving to us, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I wasting the things that God has given me? My gifts, my abilities, my resources, my knowledge, my understanding. Because ultimately, as people created in the image of God, he's given us, we are unique. We are unique. And we must give an account to God one day. We will have to stand before him. We've read that. And so this steward, this manager, had to stand before his master. You've been wasting my possessions. In the story of the prodigal son, he wasted his inheritance. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, he wasted his opportunity. He wasted it. And this morning, I think the challenge comes to us so strongly and powerfully. What can I do for you, Lord? What have I got that you need? What can I give? Am I holding on to something that I shouldn't be holding on to? We're part of Beacon Church, and we've got a great future. God has promised that. And even though things are getting difficult in the future, we need to be asking ourselves a question, what can I give? Or what can I sell? Am I holding on to something which needs to be released in my wallet, in my experience, in my understanding, in my time, in my respect for my brothers and sisters? Am I holding on to time just to suit myself when I could be giving it to serve my brothers and sisters? Am I holding on to time when I could be serving someone else? This is the challenge that comes out of this story. This guy, this steward, he knew it was personal. And sometimes we need always to come back to that point that my standing before God is personal. It's not based on anybody else, not on our mum or dad, or our relation, or anybody we know closely. Ultimately, the challenge is personal. We stand before God. He knew he had been found out. He knew he'd been found out. He knew the judgment and final accounting was imminent and did something about it. And there we have the simple gospel God has looked at our lives, <clears throat> as Paul in Romans also commented, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We, we haven't come up to the mark. So we stand before God as indictment is against us personally. But there's only one person who can be our judge and our saviour, and that's Jesus. Because whilst the indictment's again against us, the punishment fell on him. So there's that accounting. We stand before God and Jesus has taken out. We've been found out and we need to know that. He knew that his judgment and final accounting was imminent and did something about it. And it could be who knows when. But as we read in Romans, there is a day coming. In fact, the writer of the Hebrew says, after death, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that, judgment. 
So we need to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ in quite an important way, in a serious way and a responsible way because our personal response to God comes through Jesus Christ as being our saviour. He's our judge also, but he's also our saviour, the one who's paid the price for each one of us. So what do you think the main point of this story is? We've seen the simple gospel in there. We've seen, we've seen simple comparisons and contrasts with the other two stories either side. In the first story, we can see the grace of the Father. In this story, we can see the mercy of the Master. But in the third story, it's the judgment of God. So, where did we see the mercy in this story? Well, the master had two options. He could either put him in prison or he could be sold as a slave. But he gave him time to do his accounting. In a sense, we see the grace working here. We see the mercy. God, grace is God withholds what we do deserve. He gives what we don't deserve, sorry. And with mercy, he withholds what we do deserve. So in a sense, we see the mercy of God at work in this story. But in the third story, there's no grace or mercy ultimately, which is outside of God, because it was the judgment of God on him. So those three stories work together. And whilst the Pharisees were always a suspicious-looking bunch, naturally. And their reaction at the end of the story shows that Jesus knew them through and through and hit the nail right on the head. It's a bit like, you scratch my back and I'll scratch you. But there's a point here because creating favours with man works in every culture, but it doesn't work with God. The only favour we can claim is the grace of God on our lives. The only active part we can claim from God that he's shown us mercy, ultimately, in the end. And we need to just remember that the gospel we know and have experienced is far more valuable sometimes than what we think about it. We need to think deeply about it in what Jesus has done us. And we used to sing a song years ago. All my sins were laid upon him. He who knew them bore them on the tree. And now we thank God for his grace, his goodness, and mercy to us. Yeah, the Pharisees were a suspicious looking bunch, and Jesus knew them through and through. And I believe that's why he told this story. The indictment was wasting squandering. But there's another issue here because he said, I can't dig and I won't beg what it needed. What it needed. Jesus could see them as not actually taking hold of those important issues. Sometimes, um, sometimes we, we act in church like that, you know. Well, um, I'll do something, but I'm not going to dig. I'm not going to take something that really takes my time and effort. 
and um, and I won't beg. And uh, but the whole attitude behind it was that they were a proud bunch of people, the Pharisees. Pride stopped them moving forward in the kingdom of God. Don't let that happen. I can't do that when you could. Uh, well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be seen to demeaning myself in that way. Just let someone else do that. And sometimes it's that retracking from what God has put in our heart to use our resources to dig and let go of our pride to move forward in the kingdom of God. Pride is an abomination to God, and this is one of the reasons why Jesus was telling this story. He's getting at the, as he said later, I'm getting at the heart of the matter here, guys. It's in your hearts. It's in your hearts. And it's stopping you doing what you need to do. So let's be free. And let's be serving. Let's be giving out our resources. Another thing we see in the story, and it's a powerful suggestion. We've seen the indictment. We've seen some of the problems. We've seen that acceptance works through favours among men, but not with God. When you get it wrong, favours don't work with God. They knew how to work the system. God doesn't have a system to be worked. He has a saviour who can be found and trusted. And why we just yet because they were rejecting Jesus. They were denying what he was saying as he saw them and as he worked for them. But there's a powerful suggestion by Jesus. Use unrighteous wealth. And he's talking basically here about money, really. Use unrighteous wealth to further the kingdom of God. Wealth, in a sense, in this story is every resource that God has given us. Every resource. Our time, our talents, our gifts, our ability. And there's an aspect, some are temporal and some are eternal. Some are both, and some are neither one or the other. For example, a doctor might not be needed in heaven. I don't think a doctor will be needed in heaven. He has many gifts and abilities, but he could use that gift here. And many doctors have gone out to serve people in other lands to give their time and their skills for the glory of God. They're not wasting their gifts, their giving. There's a story of two businessmen. They used to meet regularly up for coffee. Uh, and um, one uh, used to drive his Rolls Royce and park it nearby in the cafe, nearby in the cafe. And the other guy, he walked. He walked to the cafe, and uh, the one who had the Rolls Royce kept on, why don't you get yourself a decent car so that you can let other people see you're successful? And he says, I don't need it. And, uh, so, and after several weeks, the guy who hadn't got the car, he retorted. He said, look, I haven't got a car. I don't need it. But I've got six other cars. Well, I gave that one to that missionary there, and that missionary there, 
and they've all got cars to move about using resources, the kingdom of glory of God. And I think we've become quite lax. Personally, I have. Then what can I give for the kingdom and glory? What can I give to Beacon Church? What can I do more effectively to, to, to help this body grow? Use the money. Jesus is saying, well, it's an important resource while you're living on this earth, so Dan will use it, or something like that. Use it. Use it. Use it. And I think that's a point we need to understand. Wealth is every resource that God has blessed us with to do the job. To do the job. Raise funds. Sell something. Have a garage sale. Who knows? Bring it to the apostles' feet so that the kingdom might be furthered and God will be glorified in what you do because we want to glorify God here on earth with everything he has given us. But with all that's coming, with all that's coming, like Bob said earlier, God seems to be shaking all things and things are going to change. When we're pulling in our purse strings, God's saying, what are you doing that for? Open them up. Jesus said, very powerful, use your wealth. Use your wealth. But in the midst of that, with all the possible difficulties coming again, this is where I finish, really, is that we need words of hope this morning. As challenging as this story might be, and as heart-searching as it may be, we need words of hope from our God. We need encouragement to know that being in Christ, we read that in Romans, being in Christ is the place to be. Being in Christ is the only place to be, that we have the future sorted and a secure, eternal future with him. So let's remind ourselves just of a few words of hope from the Bible. From man's perspective, and we see this very much in the government, we can fix it, guys. Yeah, give us all the money. We, we just throw a bit of money into it. You know? We can fix it, whatever it is. But there'll be many things they can't fix. God knows about that. And it may be God... It may be that government cannot fix your personal financial situation this morning. But I want to tell you that God supplies all our need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. We need to just wait and bear on these words, these promises that come from the word. Was it we used to sing, I know who holds the future and he'll guide me with his hand. I think with God, things don't just happen by him. They were planned. And we need to see that aspect of God in sort of grasping on to the hope of God this morning that's in Jesus. So as the government seek to fix it, there will be things they can't fix. From God's perspective, he knows the future. 
from the prophetic declaration from Scripture, God has said that those things that can be shaken will be shaken. And money's one of them. They're going to be shaken. And actually, the Bible has a unique way of saying what we may experience in our lifetime, the beginning of sorrows. So will be that aspect of life that would be extremely difficult and be a great sorrow to many people. But, you know, as believers, we should be looking at the future. And that was probably the main point in the story, that this guy was in a fix. He was in a problem, and he did what he could, what he, he knew best to sort out future. But actually, we're in a better position than the guy in the story, because with Jesus, he is the future. He is the very future for each one of us. The other thing is God knows our needs before we do. The Bible tells us that. He knows. He knows if you're going to have a difficult time, and he's preparing you for that. He's preparing each one of that to look more to Jesus, to hold on faithfully to his word, to rest in his promises, and keep him as the prime focus of our lives. And when the going gets tough, Jesus has invited us, each one of us, to cast all our cares on him. Jesus said it himself. And I just want, what is your care? What is your care this morning? Is it, is it the fact that maybe your money will run out? Is it, is it the fact that you're not quite sure what's going to happen when you get incapable of doing things? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's whatever it is. What is your care? Maybe it's a problem in the family, a difficult relationship. Maybe it's a broken relationship. What is your care? Our right relations aren't good. God is the one we turn to. He is the one. Because Jesus said, cast, cast your care on me. No, he said, cast all your care on me because he cares for you. And if that's not a word of hope for us this morning, it jolly well ought to be that we can cast all our cares on him. I just want to finish by reading from 1 Timothy 6. 17 to 19. It's actually aimed at the rich in the context of church. Uh, it's aimed at the rich where discrimination was a problem. Um, and it could be, could be aimed at us this morning because we are rich, aren't we, really? We have so much, so much. Compared, I was—I uh, quite like a bottle of port, or yeah, quite like it. And I was um, looking at them on the bottles on Sainsbury's shelf. This this happened several times. I, I don't buy a bottle of port for myself. If I get one for Christmas or birthday, that's lovely. But I don't—I don't buy a bottle of port for myself. Because one day I was in Sainsbury's looking at them and God sort of put an image to the side of me 
and it was a child with an empty belly. And he was saying, that child watching you, those fashionable things that we do, which don't mean much in the end, really, we spend money on them. But in actual fact, it could be given to someone in need. And this is what this, these words say. For the, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertain riches, but God. And that's the point, setting our hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, be rich in good works, do be generous, and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life which is truly life. Amen. And it's about, where do we land? It's about a re-reflection of integrity of our personal lives, our resources, and beacon community within that context. We can do that in worship.